All right. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. It's almost not morning anymore, but it's still morning. All right. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 148. Should be pretty much right smack dab in the middle. If you do have the Pew Bible, it's on page 526. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come this morning before your word, Lord, we ask that you would clear away all the distractions in our minds. Lord, all the things that have been weighing on us in this past week and these past months. Lord, all the things that we're thinking about in this upcoming week. Lord, there are many things, many distractions, many things to be concerned about. But as we come, Lord, we desire to hear from you this morning. We desire to hear from your word. We desire to hear what is our proper response to you, to who you are, to what you have done for us. And as we conclude this series in the Psalms, Lord, may that be clear in our hearts and in our minds, how we are to respond both as a people, corporately, and as individuals in this world. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds to receive from you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 148, please pay attention to the reading of God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. And he gave, he gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. We began our psalms series last summer in psalm 1 and we concluded in psalm 150 this summer we began in psalm 2 which is a parallel a connected psalm to psalm 1 and we're ending in psalm 148 it's very fitting that we do this that we close out that way if you look if you have your an actual paper bible you can, it might all be on one page or it's within a couple pages if you look from Psalm 146 to Psalm 150, the last five psalms 
These are called the Hallel Psalms. Um, notice that they each, each one of these five songs begins and ends with the words, praise the Lord. Uh, in the Hebrew, that, the word Hallel means to praise, and the, the U sound means to, like the command to you, and Yah is for Yahweh. So Hallelujah, that's where we get the word Hallelujah, to praise the Lord. And I think this here, these five psalms at the end of the Psalter is a fitting close, a fitting ending to this entire collection that has had one focus, one focus in all the psalms is giving God the praise and the honor and the glory that he deserves. And we've actually seen it in our service, as James mentioned, we started our call to worship with Psalm 146. After the sermon, we're going to sing Psalm 150, so Sorry, Psalm 147 and 149, we didn't get them in here. But we're, we're kind of covering that. We're seeing how these psalms apply to our worship, how we can sing and repeat these things back to the Lord. O. Palmer Robertson, in his book, The Flow of the Psalms, he talks about how there are these poetic pyramids in the psalms. There are an odd number of psalms that uh, make this pyramid, right? You have like uh, the the songs of ascent that we went through the last couple of weeks, there's 15 of them. So you have seven on one side, seven on the other. Psalm 127 is right in the middle, in the middle of that. He calls that the pinnacle psalm. So there's all these pyramid collections of psalms and one psalm in the center of that is the pinnacle psalm. Psalm 127 is that famous song, unless the Lord builds the house, his builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, we talked about this last week, the watchman stays awake in vain. Well, you can look here and do the math, right? Psalm 148 is the pinnacle psalm here. It's the pinnacle psalm in these five Hallel psalms. So this is really kind of the, the crescendo, right? This is the focus of, of praise in these five psalms. And, and this Hallel grouping of these five psalms is the end of the psalm. So this is like the pinnacle of the pinnacle, right, of, of the book of psalms. And we're going to see very clearly why that is here in Psalm 148. So the focus, again, is, is on praise to God. We're going to see that repeated over and over in Psalm 148, just as it's repeated throughout these five Halal Psalms. And the word praise, um, I think, you know, you don't have to be a, you don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to have a deep understanding of, of theology even, right? We just use that word in secular terms to praise someone, right? To speak highly of someone. It can actually mean to, to boast in something. So, I mean, you could praise yourself, right? You could praise your own skills and what you have. It's, it's actually interesting in, in the Old Testament, the word is used sometimes negatively for, for that type of boasting. Um, so it, it's to boast in something to, or to extol the greatness of something or someone, so what things do we boast in, right? What things do we extol? What things do we lift up and say, this thing is amazing? Maybe it's our favorite sports team, right? Packers are playing tonight. They're 2-0. They started really hot. Woo, yeah, praise the, praise the Packers, right? Or maybe it's food. Eric and James and I were at our Presbyterian meeting yesterday in Green Bay. On the way back, we stopped in Appleton, and we went and had some sushi and some delicious dishes. And I was like, man, this is awesome, right? I was extolling that food because it tasted so good. Maybe it's movies or books. 
I would, I'll extol the movie 1917. If you haven't seen it yet, it's awesome, right? You need to go see that movie. So we can praise something that has worth or value to us. And it's, it's okay in a sense to do that, right? Maybe it's a flashy new device that you just got, or maybe it's your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Someone in your life who is significant. Students, maybe it's one of your professors, right? Like, this professor is so awesome, and you praise that professor. Well, there are many things, many different things. I could list so many more, but there are many things in our lives that we direct our praise to. And it's, like I said, it's clearly not wrong to admire things, right? To see the worth and the value in things, good gifts that God has given to us to speak highly of people and things. But the question is, to what or to whom does our ultimate praise belong? To whom or, or what should our ultimate praise be directed? And Psalm 148 answers that question very clearly, right? You read this psalm and there's no question by the end of this psalm, who deserves our ultimate praise? The structure of this psalm, James and I were talking about this earlier, the, the structure of this psalm is, is really easy. Uh, you read through it. If you have a, a translation that you know, brings out these, these vocabulary parallels, it's, it's really easy to see. Um, it's pretty much split into, into two different sections. It's not perfectly uh, in half, but verses one through six, uh, and then verses 7 through 14. Uh, so it's, it's really easy to read. It's easy to just read it yourself and kind of see what's going on here. It's easy to preach because I don't have to like unpack all these mysterious things. Like what's this? There's not like this chiasm or all these strange things that we've talked about in, in some of the other Psalms. It's, it's very straightforward. The first half and the second half mirror each other. And we'll, we'll get into some of that. Um, he, the psalmist begins here in, in the heavens. Uh, so the psalmist here, he's commanding things that inhabit the heavens to praise the Lord. You see that uh, right away where we're located in verse 1. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. So that's where the psalmist is starting, in the highest of heights. Then he, he directs his command to different things that inhabit the heavens. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Now, angels, we don't have to explain that. I think we all kind of know what, what angels are and, and what, how they're depicted uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, this word hosts here, though, is an interesting word. Um, it's, we see this. It's actually used like over 200 times in the Old Testament. The, the Lord is called the Lord of hosts. Um, and that term, this term hosts here, it's actually a military term. And we see, we actually sang about it in Psalm 46, heaven's armies, right? The God, of, the God of heaven's armies is a title that we could use for the Lord. So when this is talking about the Lord of hosts, it's saying that he is the God of, of these, this angelic host of, of angels and this, this army of angels. God is um, the head of them, so to speak, the commander. This word host, though, can also refer to like large groupings of things. So a lot of commentators think when he, when the psalmist uses hosts here, he's actually connecting angels in verse 2 to then verse 3, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars. This word is actually, this word host is used in Genesis 2.1 where it says the Lord created the, the heavens and the earth and all the host of them. 
So it's this, it's this whole collection of, of sun, moon, stars, all these things that, that bow down to the Lord, right? That give him glory, that shine forth, which actually the word praise can also have that meaning of to shine. So, so God's glory is actually coming out, right? From these stars, from the sun, the light that we see praises God. So the hosts that give him praise, we could, we could look at it on one side being the angels. On the other hand, it could be all the sun, moon, and all the stars. And then what happens here in verse 5, which we're going to see parallel down in 13. After this command to all these things, all these things in the heaven, this, the host of heaven, all these things to give praise to the Lord. Then we see the reason given in verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. So God is spoken of here as the one who created all these things. He is worthy to be given all the praise and honor and glory because he is the one who spoke and commanded all these things into existence. He is the creator. And all of these things, they owe their existence to him. And therefore, it's only fitting that they would praise him, right? It doesn't say, Praise the heavens, all you heavens. Praise the sun. Praise the moon, all you... No, they're not, they're not giving praise to things that are equal to them. They're giving praise to something that's above them, something that called them into existence. God alone. So again, those first five verses are, are, are very clear. Um, there's not really a lot to try to figure out there. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Now, we, now the scene shifts here. In verses 7 to 14, the psalmist started in the highest of heights, right? The psalmist started in the heavens. Now he's coming down to earth. Verses 7 to 14 are are coming down to to the earth and actually to the lowest parts of the earth. We see this in verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. So he's He's starting off in the highest of heavens. Now he's at the deepest parts of the ocean, right? These unknown, mysterious parts with these great sea creatures. And again, back then they didn't have any of the technology that we have today to go and explore some of the deepest parts of the ocean, right? When we talked about how the Hebrew people were, were deathly afraid of the sea. So there's this image here of all the way from as far as we can look with the eye, right? Up into the heavens, we see the glory of God. Praise him, all those things, all the way down to the scariest places that we don't want to go, to where there's these scary sea creatures from the highest of heights to the deepest of depths. All things are to give praise to the Lord. Verse 8 talks about the weather, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. This is a reminder here that God is in control of all these things. You know, we lament when these hurricanes come through and, and wipe things out, when, when tornadoes come through and, and, and wipe out homes. And it, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to wrestle with, right? In some, in some way, that's a, that's a depiction of God's glory and his majesty and his power. You know, we get caught in the middle of it and we don't always know how to react to that. But in a sense, we should praise God for that display of might, right? We should pray that it maybe just goes through some big, cornfield in Nebraska and doesn't hit any houses, but really we have to understand that God is sovereign over all of his creation, even the weather. So when we start complaining in a couple months here, right, about the, the snow and all these things, right, it's, it's, it's makes sense for us to do that, right? It's not always pleasant, 
But again, this psalmist is saying all these things, all these works of creation, all, even the weather, right, gives praise to God. It goes on uh, in verse 9 to talk about the, the physical landscape, right? The things that we see when we look out there, mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars. If you've driven out west and it, the, if for the first time when, you, when you're driving out west and you see those mountains for the, the first time, it's just like, what? Like your mind is just completely blown. Like, are, are those clouds? Like, what is that, right? In this huge mountain range. Praise God when you see that. Praise him and give him glory. But even the trees, right? Even just seeing a fruit tree, we might just be like, oh yeah, there's an apple tree in my yard. But we should look at that tree and praise God. Because he created it. It's his design to feed us and to, to please our eyes with the beauty of that tree. Now he moves on to the living creatures. Verse 10, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. These are things that were actually all four of these things, beasts, livestock, creeping things, flying birds, are all mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. These are things that were created on day five and day six. And there are many parallels when you read through Psalm 148. There are many parallels to Genesis 1 and 2 in the, the order isn't always exact. But the things that he is listing here to praise the Lord are all things that are very clearly spoken of in Genesis 1 and 2 as things that God created. Now verses 11 and 12, I think in a interesting sense, actually kind of mirror this whole psalm. They kind of mirror the flow of this whole psalm. The psalm, remember, starts in the highest of heights and goes down to the, to the deepest of depths and to the low places. Verses 11 and 12 kind of show that, that from the highest place to the lowest place in humanity. Kings of the earth, right? The highest rulers, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children so it starts with kings and it ends with children. So there's this, there's this kind of parallel structure to how the whole psalm flows. And it's kind of this greater to lesser argument. It's just saying, even those who are in the greatest position of power in this world, right? Kings who are receiving praise, who, to whom people come and literally bow down and maybe kiss their ring or whatever they do. And they're giving them honor and praise. God is saying, no, you owe me praise, right? You do not steal my praise. You do not deserve the ultimate praise. So from the, the highest, from the kings down to, to old men and children, everyone alike is to praise the Lord. And this actually uh, kind of reminds us of Psalm 150, verse 6, which is the last verse in all of the Psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So that's what we see here in verses 10, 11, and 12. All the animals, all humanity is to praise the Lord. And then we see again verse 13, which parallels verse 5. This is the reason. The reason is given. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. Well, what does this mean here by the name of the Lord? And how do we praise his name? When we say praise the name of the Lord, do we just repeat his name over and over? 
Do we just say, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Like, the Lord is awesome. The Lord is awesome. I mean, we can do that, right? But it's not just, it's not just that word. It's not just a title when it says, praise the name of the Lord. When we talk about praising God's name, we talk about praising him for who he is. When the Bible talks about the name of the Lord, it's not just like Yahweh or Elohim. It's not a title. It's actually all of who he is. And we see a beautiful picture of this in Exodus chapter 34. I've shared this before. Uh, it's actually a, a beautiful picture how the name of the Lord is connected with the worship of the Lord. Now in Exodus uh, chapter 34, God tells Moses to go back up onto Mount Sinai. This is after the golden calf incident in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, God says he's going to destroy the people. Moses intercedes for them. God sends him back up onto Mount Sinai to receive uh, the new tablets. And Exodus 34, starting in verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Okay, the Lord proclaims his name. And listen to what he says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. You see, God reveals himself. He reveals the name of the Lord here to Moses. And he gives him this whole list of things that we just read. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When we say the name of the Lord, that's what we mean. Who he is, his character, how he, how he communicates with us, how he shows us these things. And Moses doesn't say like, oh, that's cool. Like, let me go, you know, write that down and like tell my grandkids. He falls on his face and he worships. So when it says here in Psalm 148, to praise the name of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. It's to worship God for who he is, to worship him in all his glory and majesty that he has revealed himself to us in. Praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. The idea, so again, the reason this verse is so important is because we've just seen, we've started in the highest of heavens, right? We started in verse one with, with angels, with sun, moon, and stars, and saying God's name is exalted. God is higher than all of that stuff, right? He's the one who made it, and he's the one who sustains all of these things. His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. Okay, so it's, again, it started way up here. It's come down here. And then it goes back to, to God. But I think it doesn't just stop there. I think this is what's really interesting. We get, to, we get to verse 14. And we see verses 11 and 12 talked about humanity. But now we see here in verse 14 the importance of people in God's plan. So it's kind of started high, come way down low. But then it's like, going back up again and showing how important God's people are. So why should we praise him? He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. 
Well, what does it mean if you've, if you've read through the Psalms, if you've read much of the Old Testament? Um, you're probably familiar with this term, horn. Uh, probably have seen it in, in a few different places. What does it mean that the Lord has raised up a horn for his people? Well, in the Old Testament, a horn is a symbol for, for strength, uh, for, for power, for, for victory. Um, just this morning, are they in here? Yeah. August and Porter and Ryle, we were sitting out on the porch, and I pulled up a video of some big horn sheep, the rams. Uh, it was in the Canadian Rockies, buttonheads. And just go, go search for it. It is incredible. I mean, just... They're good. The video is like 10 minutes long. We watched like two minutes of it, but just, they're just like, just constantly just boom, just ramming each other's heads. You're like, how do those horns not snap off? Well, that's what this is a picture of, right? This strength and this power and this might, that is what God is talking about when he's talking about a horn. So he has raised up a horn for his people. Psalm 18 verse 2 written by David. He says that the Lord is his rock and his fortress and his deliverer, his shield, the horn of his salvation. So God is referred to as the horn, the strength of David's salvation. Psalm 89, 17, it says that by the Lord's favor, their horn is, meaning Israel's horn, is exalted. So God is the horn of, of his people's salvation, but there's also this imagery of of the people's horn being exalted, which is what we see here in Psalm 148. Psalm 132, verse 17, the Lord speaks, and he says, in Zion, this is, again, remember this is in the, the Songs of Ascent, in Zion, I will make a horn to sprout for David. Okay? There's this promise. I will make a, a horn to sprout for David. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament promises to David, there was a promise given in 2 Samuel 7 that someone would sit on David's throne forever. And there's always these, these future, this future imagery of someone coming from the line of David. So we see that right here in the Psalms. I will make a horn to sprout for David. So we, we look at that. We look at Psalm 148. And we have to ask, what does this mean? What is this pointing us to? I think this is a great uh, reminder for us here as we get ready to transition back into Luke's gospel here next week. You can, you can turn there if you want. We're going to be uh, going there, and then we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 5. If you want to tur- turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, you can turn there. So it's, it's been a while since we were in Luke chapter 1, uh, last, last fall, uh, beginning of last fall. But do you remember Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1? Remember the scene, Zechariah was in the temple and he, the angel appeared to him and he, he doubted, right? He doubted what the angel said, so he, he was made mute. Uh, he couldn't speak. And then his son, John, is born. And after that, the Lord opens his mouth. And the first thing that comes out of Zechariah's mouth is in Luke chapter 1. He's starting in verse 67. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And this is what Zechariah says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Hello. Right? This is what they've been looking forward to. This promise of this horn that would be exalted, this horn that would be lifted up. Here it is. Right? He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is the fulfillment of all of those promises. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Praise the Lord, for he has raised up a horn of salvation by sending his son into this world. This fulfillment of these promises in the Old Testament about the Messiah, what do you think they thought? They were picturing the Rams and the Canadian Rockies button heads, right? Jesus is going to come, or the Messiah, right? This idea of the Messiah is going to come and he's going to just start busting Roman heads, right? He's going to take on our enemies. He's going to beat them down into the ground. That's what people were looking for. This mighty one, maybe born in a king's palace. But what happened instead? It was the total opposite, right? Born in a stable to humble parents with nothing, right? Probably nothing but the clothes on their back. Humble circumstances. So that he might redeem his people. So that he might show himself to be powerful. I love the end of Psalm 148 there. It says, for the people of Israel who are near to him. This is what we were created for. To be near to the Lord. To be in his presence. To enjoy him. To praise him for who he is. Yesterday at our presbytery meeting, uh, one, of, one of the brothers who is a hospital chaplain in uh, Sheboygan shared about, uh, he's, he's probably in his maybe early 70s, he's 60s, early 70s, getting close to retirement. Uh, when COVID hit, the hospital called him up. He's, like I said, he's a hospital chaplain. Hospital called him up and said, we don't want you back. Uh, we don't need you. Um, and he was like really wrestling with this, like feeling like, Lord, of all times, like, this is when the people need a chaplain, right? And he really wrestled and struggled with it and talked to them. And, and three days later, they, they changed their mind and they let him uh, back in. But he just talked about how difficult it's been. He hasn't, for the most part, hasn't been able to see people face to face. He talked about the ministry of presence and how important just that, that physical presence with people is and when you have that loss of presence just how much people are struggling uh, you can get people on a zoom call you can do all these things but it's it's clearly not the same um and this idea just as, you know as i was i had been thinking through the psalm and i heard him share that yesterday i was like that's what it looks like that's what we were created for we were created to be near people and to be near god right we weren't created to be isolated we were created to have this picture of a God who is near to us, and we get a foretaste of that when we gather together for worship, right? The communion of saints, when we come and we are near to each other. That's why when we weren't meeting in person and even with you know social distancing things, it's like none of us likes this because we weren't made for this, right? We weren't made to be at a distance from people. And that's not a comment about whatever COVID and what our leaders are doing. I'm just, just saying like, it's not what, what we were created for, right? So when we worship together, when we pray for one another, when we acknowledge that God is with us and near to us, 
our hearts are stirred, right? And we're reminded that God is with us. We're reminded that he is near to us. He is near to his people. Well, as Psalm 148 pointed God's people forward, and as Zechariah's prophecy pointed God's people forward to the soon-to-be-born Messiah, so God has given us another picture, another promise for our future hope. You can turn to Revelation chapter 5. If Psalm 148 is the pinnacle of praise in the Psalms, I think Revelation chapter 5 is the pinnacle of praise that we see to close out this last book in the Bible. It's this glorious scene before the throne of God. We'll look at verses 9 through 14 together. And they, speaking of the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, notice the parallels to Psalm 148 here. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Notice even the parallel there to Moses falling on his face and worshiping in Exodus 34. This song that is sung here in verse 13 by all of creation, this could not have been sung with the type of understanding that they had in the Psalms, right? They didn't know this. They didn't know that the Lamb of God was going to come and die in our place to take away the sins of the world. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's the song that we are going to sing forever. We can look back and we can sing Psalm 148. But in a sense, it's incomplete, right? It doesn't give us the full picture. But as we go to Luke chapter 1 and we read Zechariah's prophecy about the horn of salvation that's raised up, as we go to Revelation chapter 5, we get the full picture. This is what praise to our God is going to look like. And singing these, singing the Psalms, singing those Zechariah's prophecy, those are foretastes. Those are pointing forward to what we're going to be doing forever before the throne of God above. We look to the Lamb who was slain for us. 
And again, here's this paradox of the gospel, right? Jesus isn't the ram coming in to, to butt horns with, with some world power or whatever. He's coming to die. He's coming to lay down his life for us so that we might live. He was crucified in weakness. But he was raised in power and glory, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's reigning in power. So there is that strength. There is that might. But we have to see both sides of that coin. We follow him here and now in this life. We identify with him in our suffering. We don't look for the power and the glory on earth. We don't look to political parties. We don't look to our own little camps or whatever it might be. We suffer for Christ's sake. We speak about him when it's not popular and when the world hates us. And he's the horn, right? We're not the horn. He's the one who gets the glory. And if we suffer for his sake, praise God. We know that we will reign with him one day. So we can sing this song. We can look forward in hope. But we have to be a people who really believe this and who really trust in him and who really live this out in our lives in this world. I don't know what's coming in the next couple months. I mean, we're all kind of on edge, right? But on the one hand, I'm really like, who cares? I mean, it doesn't change anything for us as Christians, right? Nothing changes about what's true of us. Nothing changes about what's coming for us. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's do this. Let's live this out. Let's put our hands to the plow and walk with our Savior. If it means that we have to suffer for his namesake, let's do it. And let's do it joyfully knowing that we will be gathered together singing this song together for all of eternity. That is our hope. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And you are worthy of all of our praise. God, forgive us when we give praise and glory to things that are just pale in comparison to you. God, lift up our eyes to see the truth of who we are in Christ. To see our security in him because of what he has done for us on the cross. That we have been bought with a price that we are not our own. We no longer belong to ourselves, Lord, but we belong to you. And we are called as your people to point others to that horn of salvation to point to you, the one who is exalted above the heavens and the earth. God, to be a people who, who come and who bow down before you and to say that we are not worthy. But we're not worthy to be called your children. We're not worthy to be counted among those who, who Jesus laid down his life for. But God, by your grace, you have called us you have set your love upon us. God, and our only proper, our only fitting response is to praise you, is to give you our lives. May we do that more and more. And in the days to come, Lord, come what may, 
May our hearts and our eyes be fixed firmly upon you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.